0: Thank mm-hmm. you. 1, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. How long, O oh Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the rampart. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, "Write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it; it will certainly come and will do not and will not delay." See, he is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteousness will live by his faith. Please stand for the good news.
2: God's New Testament word to us, God's good news to us comes from the Gospel of Luke, the 17th chapter beginning at verse one. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted into the sea,' and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he rather, not rather say, prepare my supper? Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? so you also, when you've done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for us all. God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The text for today comes from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Let's pray. Lord, it appears the world is falling apart, but you, O Lord, hold all things together. Bless us as we come into your presence for comfort, encouragement, and strength to stand firm in our world with your truth. As we gather, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our maker and our redeemer. Amen. We heard today, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. It's a text. Questions. It was back in the 1980s. Uh, there is a comedian simply known as Gallagher. Uh, many of you know him. Anyone? Gallagher? Yeah, all right, yeah, there you go. Uh, while known for the wonderful kitchen tool called the sludge <clears throat> uh, he was also known for asking questions, poking the fun at the English language. Uh, where he would say, you know, why do they call them buildings when they're already done building them, right? They ought to call them built, right? Uh, or why do they call them apartments when they're, when they're so close together? Apart, close together. And he says, what do, you, what, what do you expect from people who drive on parkways and park on driveways? Or why do they put a little on-off word on the light switch? If the light's on, you see that it's on. Uh, if the light's off, it's too dark to see the words on the switch. And why do they call it a TV set when you only get one? There you go. Questions. But today we have different questions. Here we are gathered as God's people, considering a text in which for many is perhaps uh, the least known segment of God's word. This book uh, we find in the collection of strange names at the end of the Old Testament, known as the Minor Prophets. So today, this word of God to us comes from the prophet Habakkuk. Now, I've never personally met a person named Habakkuk, and I suspect you haven't either, but I've talked with a lot of people who voiced the concerns and questions that Habakkuk raises in our text. And I would think that you do too. Maybe the spiritual struggles or questions he had were not limited to his historical time and circumstances because they're timeless, aren't they? And they continue to be asked today. I mean, the good news is that our text provides not only, provides us not only with questions, but also with answers. And, and there's a pretty good description of that portion of God's word, man's questions and God's answers. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, received, it starts off, an oracle really was just a message from God. It, it could be in the form of a vision or a dream of some sort, so in this first verse we're told that God gave such an oracle to an individual named Habakkuk. Now we don't know a lot about the prophet other than his name, which, which means sort of in the idea of, of the one who embraces, but, but we know that he lived and worked in the land of Judah around 700 BC. We know that he's a prophet of God. We know that, that God thought it was really important enough to preserve this message, uh, his message to us in scripture. And we also know that among the minor prophets, Habakkuk's message is unique. I mean, it's not so much a warning to God's people as in the case with the other prophets talking about God's judgment coming. But it's, it's more of a dialogue between uh, God and the prophet Habakkuk. And it's just, it was written to strengthen God's people at a time when many were abandoning and leaving the faith. And so these opening words indicate that the majority of people that Habakkuk dealt with, they were corrupt. They were selfish. They were violent. And even though they professed to have faith, their faith life was just empty ritualism. It was like a a thin veneer of, of religious language that covered over this spiritual emptiness. And so, with that in the background, Habakkuk begins the dialogue by asking God the very pointed questions that I read at the beginning How long, O Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Now, I don't think those words need a lot of explanation, do they? I mean, the prophet looked at the world around him. All he saw was violence and wrongdoing, injustice, strife, and conflict. And all this is happening not only to, but by and among the people who are supposed to be God's children. So he asked God a couple simple questions. Number one, how long is this going to last? And number two, why are you letting these things happen in the first place? But even with those two questions, there are other questions there underneath that, aren't there? You know, have you forgotten your people, oh God? God, are you unable? Are you unwilling? Are you powerless to do anything about this? God, why must the righteous suffer and the wicked flourish? God, is that really fair? And hey, God, if you're so good, why are so many bad things happening? Well, do any of those questions sound familiar to you? Those questions are ageless. I mean, I wonder how many times those questions or variations of them have been asked. How many of you have asked those same questions? I know I have. Uh, I mean, I'll guess I start calling you Habakkuk. Okay? Uh, it's amazing that suddenly this ancient Israelite named Habakkuk is amazingly contemporary, isn't he? Beyond the obvious application toward events. At that time, and events recent and past, these questions can very much be personalized, can't they? For instance, we watch a loved one go through—maybe it's an extended illness uh, with little or no hope for recovery. There's just that gradual loss of strength and vitality. We may wonder, how long does this have to go on, Lord? Maybe it's we're dealing with problems—personal problems, family problems, uh, uh, problems which, despite... A lot of prayer and effort and doing all the right things, problems don't go away. And we wonder, Lord, how come you're not helping? Me? Maybe you experience the pain or, or, or setback or difficulty and lose an opportunity for something that we feel would have been very beneficial to us, and we wonder, why is this happening, God? Why me? Why, why my kids? Why my parents, right? Maybe we experience the miscarriage of a child or the death of a child after birth. We may cry out, God, why must the righteous suffer and all the wicked are flourishing? Maybe we read about a drunk driver who plows into a car or maybe a bus and, and killing children or maybe it's a job-related accident too, uh, that leaves widows and fatherless children in their wake. Or maybe just recently you think about 9-11, uh, the attacks that resulted in thousands of families uh, losing a husband, a wife, a father, mother, a child. And we may wonder, where are you in all this, Scott? You know, Habakkuk certainly wasn't the first one to ask these kind of questions. As he looked around and saw what he perceived to be injustices and unfairness, and he's not going to be the last one, that's to be sure. We may find these questions slipping in our own consciousness. Uh, we might start with the same you know I know I shouldn't be at questioning God I probably shouldn't be thinking this way but you go ahead and ask the question anyway now Habakkuk not only asked questions he also wanted some answers the text picks up in chapter 2 after Habakkuk issued a second complaint along the same lines we read I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And so he's not able to come up with answers to the questions raised. So Habakkuk devises a plan. He says, I'm going to settle in and wait for the Lord's instruction. And and we need to note here that Habakkuk's questions don't well up from him questioning God's existence or doubting it. Uh, rather, he's confused uh, as to why God would tolerate the things that he was seeing. And so they're not necessarily accusing questions, but they're more searching kind of questions. And, in God, and God, in his grace, decides to answer this troubled prophet. And God replies write down the revelation and make it plain on the tablet so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time, it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come, and not delay. So he's instructed to write down what God's going to tell him so others will also know. And he says, it might take a while. And so Habakkuk is assured by God that the answers would indeed come to him, and appropriate actions would be taken. And we need to remember that the message that followed was originally directed toward a specific time in which Habakkuk lived, I mean, he had to deal with the fall of Babylon, uh, the nation that would soon conquer God's Old Testament people and and carry them away into captivity. Uh, But as we see behind the the message, there's a general principle for all believers of all times. Let's backtrack for a moment and fill in some information covered in the verses later in chapter 1, but but really aren't a part of the the text for today. Uh, Habakkuk's first complaint was, God, why do you tolerate so much evil and and wickedness from your own people? And God says, basically, my people are going to be disciplined shortly by the hand of Babylon. And Habakkuk sort of pressed back at that and said, you know, a second complaint, how could you let your people then be conquered by a nation that's even more wicked than they are? And God says, Babylon too is going to be punished, especially for his treatment of, God, of my people whom I love. And then God pro- begins a pronouncement against Babylon while at the same time instructing Habakkuk uh, and all believers how to live in troubled times. Uh, he says, see, he is puffed up, he meaning Babylon. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Babylon is proud. Babylon is arrogant and godless, But it will eventually be destroyed. Babylon lives in might and by might and by sight only in the present moment. On the other hand, Habakkuk is told the righteous one lives by their faith. And that's the definitive answer to the prophet's questions. Here's the explanation Habakkuk was looking for wickedness may abound. Absolutely, it does. Unrighteous people may live by violence and injustice, they do. But the righteous, the believer, will live by his faith. But what does that mean to live by faith? Now, this could be understood a couple different ways. One way, it could mean, you know, think of us thinking about live eternally through faith. In what Habakkuk's time was the, uh, the, the promise of the Savior to come, But in our time, it's the Savior who has come, Jesus Christ. And so in the New Testament book of Romans, Paul, the apostle, takes this passage and applies it to the central message of Scripture of justification by by faith. We live eternally through trusting faith in in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, the triumphal resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saved eternally and live eternally through faith in Jesus Secondly, another way of looking at this is in addition to living eternal life by faith, believers also live in this life by faith. In other words, now, even though evil and bad seemingly uh, and seemingly senseless tragic events take place, we live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in God his love, his goodness toward his children. Faith in God's promises, uh, that he promised never to leave us or forsake us, and and he promises to make all things work out for the good of his children. Faith in the things that we can touch and taste and see, like the water of baptism, which applied uh, the work of Christ to our hearts and washes away our sin. To the bread and wine of communion, in which Christ comes to us in that bread and wine to give us his true body and blood as a tangible assurance that we've been forgiven. Faith in God's presence, and faith in the comfort that God gives. I mean, here's the answer to the nagging questions of how long and why faith, not just blind faith, faith in God's love which was and is demonstrated by the power of the cross in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus' resurrection and that promise of eternal life. Faith in his work through simple means, water and bread and wine. Faith in his assurance that our sins have been forgiven. You know, there there are a lot of things that we don't understand and possibly never will understand on this side of heaven. But more important than focusing on the things we don't know for sure, let's focus on what we do know for sure. We know for sure the things that we know for sure is this. And it's always simple, isn't it? Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And the cross of Jesus Christ has proved it. We focus on the love of God, yes, and, and, and faithfully believe in as many promise to, promises to us. We believe that he knows what he's doing, that he's indeed in, cont- in, in control of a world which often seems to be out of control. It's then that we're going to find as much of an answer as we need to the wise and wherefores of life. In this uh, conclusion that Habakkuk, I mean, this is the conclusion Habakkuk came to as well. It's interesting, the last verses of his book are not, no longer the words of a questioning man, but a man of faith. A man who grew from demanding answers from God about life's troubles to a man who trusted God even in the midst of those troubles. Listen to the final words of Habakkuk, uh, chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, enables me to go up to the heights. As he did for Habakkuk, God also provides you and me the strength to endure, to endure in a crazy world like we have today as we keep our eyes focused and centered on the Savior. Because that Savior, Jesus Christ, is God's answer to any and all of man's questions. And that's an answer that we can share with our world today. May our God and Father, who has shown his great love for you and me and Jesus, may he increase our faith. Faith in his word, faith in his promises, and and may we who have been made righteous through faith live by faith, now and eternally. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made,